If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Mark chapter 14. We're now in our 14th week of working our way through the 16 chapters of the Gospel of Mark. And let me remind us again of what our goal and what our purpose is. Our, our purpose is not to get through the Gospel of Mark. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to get the Gospel of Mark through us. That's two entirely different things. To take the things that we learn and that we talk about here on Sunday morning, our purpose is to take those things and apply them to our life. Now, our secondary goal or purpose is to, as we work our way through these 16 chapters, is to try and identify a topic or a specific paragraph in each chapter that we spend some time unpacking and studying before we move on to the next chapter. Now, let me remind us that uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark gives us four or five principles that have to do with Jesus. And these principles show up repeatedly in the 16 chapters of Mark. The, The first principle is this. Jesus is not just a good man. He is the son of the living God. The second principle is, because he is the son of God, he has the power to perform miracles. The third principle that we've talked about time and time again is this. Jesus did not do ministry alone. He was not what's called a lone ranger. He encouraged and taught and trained and recruited a group of young men that we call disciples. And he wanted them to do ministry with him. Now let's just think about this. What, what happens if Jesus doesn't recruit these guys? What, ha- what would happen if there are no disciples that follow Jesus around for three or three and a half years? Well, Jesus knows that eventually he's going back home to heaven. Somebody has to be here to take over the ministry to advance the gospel and share the good news of Jesus with people who have never heard. So that's why from the very beginning he began to recruit what we now call disciples. And the fourth principle that shows up again and again in these 16 chapters is Jesus loved to teach in parables, down-to-earth stories with heavenly meaning. The kind of story that you can hear and you think you understand it, and then we go home and we think about it during the week, and, and God just continues to allow that to penetrate our minds and to change our lives from the inside out. So now before we look at Mark 14... Let me take a minute and share a little bit about what we're going to do in the weeks ahead because we've been at this now for 14 weeks and there's only 16 chapters. So what are we going to do? One option is we go back and start over in Mark chapter 1. We're not going to do that. Today is Mark 14. Next week on October, uh, what's the date? 13th, we're going to look at Mark 15. And then the next week when we come back, two weeks from today on the 20th, we're going to look at Mark 16. But then what are we going to do? Well, here's our plan. On October 27th, we're going to begin a chapter-by-chapter study, just like we're doing in Mark. But on October 27th, we're going to start a chapter-by-chapter study on the book of Jonah, the fisherman. Well, I don't know if he was, yeah, he, he might have been a fisherman, but he got caught by the fish. So that's our story for Jonah. Um, 
We're going to do it the same pace that we've done, Mark. We're going to do a chapter each week until we work our way through the four chapters in the book of Jonah, and then we'll go on and we'll do something else. So you don't need to start reading Jonah yet. You can, if you want. But I'm just encouraging you to try and read the chapter that we're going to talk about on Sunday, to try and read that at home before you come to Sunday. Jonah is a real person. It's not a fantasy story. It's not a make-believe. It's a real historical person who was running away from God. And God finally got his attention, and Jonah repented and turned the other direction, and he began being obedient in doing what God was asking him to do. So we're going to start that on October 27th, if I've got that figured out right. But today... We're still in the Gospel of Mark. So take your Bibles if you haven't already. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Let's develop our time frame here. Mark chapter 14. We could say this. It takes place during the last week of Jesus' life on earth. Before this week is over. Not not this week. I don't even, where are we? October 6th or 7th, I don't even know what, this is the 6th, okay, not this week, it could happen, but this, this week in Mark 14, before that week's over, Jesus will be crucified and buried. Mark 14 has a number, just like all these other chapters, a number of different topics, paragraphs within the chapter. First of all, we have Jesus being anointed in Bethany, this little village just outside Jerusalem, And if you've read chapter 14 before you came this morning, you're well aware of this. Then we have Judas looking for a way to betray Jesus. Then the next chapter is about Jesus and his disciples eating the Passover meal. Then Peter denies Jesus. Then Jesus is arrested and he appears before the government leaders in downtown Jerusalem. We're not going to cover all those topics. We're going to cover one topic and our focus this morning is going to be on verses 3 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, follow along, and I'm going to read Mark 14, beginning in verse 3. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, in the house of Simon the leper, just remember that. That phrase, we're going to come back to that. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now this paragraph, 
This paragraph is a great example of something I concluded years ago. And I may have shared this. There's a piece of, over the years, I've tried to track my own life and, and people who, I'm just putting everybody in the same category here, people who profess to have faith in Christ. When it comes to reading the Bible, now this is just my opinion. When it comes to reading the Bible, this is what I believe about most church-going Christians. Now, I'm not saying all. I'm saying most. Most church-going Christians do not read the Bible nearly as often as they think they read the Bible. And the second thing, when we do read the Bible, we read it too fast. So let me say that again. This is just my opinion after 30-some years of ministry. Most people who profess faith in Christ and are actively involved in a local church, most people do not read the Bible nearly as often as they think they read the Bible. And when we do read the Bible, we read it too fast. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because I think this paragraph is one of these examples. As I read that paragraph, most of us would say, oh, I remember that story. Really? This morning, we're going to take our time and walk through this story, and it might be the first time you've ever slowed down enough to pay attention to what's in here. So all, those, all of us, starting with me, who when I read the Bible, I read it too fast... I've had to discipline myself and either read it five times or slow down. This is one of these paragraphs that for years I would just get to Mark 14 and my, I mean, I struggle with the same things that you struggle with. If my goal is to read through the Gospel of Mark, how fast can I do that? So let's just slow down this morning and we're just going to talk about these six or seven verses. If you read Mark 14 before you came to church this morning, you've already discovered that chapter 14 is the longest chapter in the Gospel of Mark. The chapter begins with Jesus and the disciples, downtown Jerusalem, where Jesus is, I don't even know all these words, Jesus is teaching, and he's training, and he's probably arguing with the religious leaders in downtown. Here's, here's what it is, if you have your Bibles open, the first two verses. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the chief priests and the scribes. You gotta love these guys. You gotta love these guys every time Jesus shows up. Here they are. They're seeking how to arrest him and by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So when we get to verse 3 in Mark 14, here's where Jesus has this interaction with an unnamed woman. It says here in verse 3, as he was reclining at table, a woman with an alabaster jar of pure, an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. This, this woman anoints Jesus with a very expensive lotion. Now, we've got these three groups of religious leaders in Jerusalem. We have the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin. And they all seem to be 
in partnership, trying to discredit Jesus for him claiming to be the son of the living God. And as we read through the Gospels, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these groups, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin, it's just one thing after the next. It's almost like they enjoy arguing with Jesus. Every time he comes to town, they're there and they're trying to, they're nitpicking on some little thing. They want nothing to do with him. And they would appreciate it very much if Jesus would leave town and never come back. Now, while all that's happening, at the same time that's going on downtown Jerusalem, there's this woman over in the little community of Bethany, just two miles outside of town. There's this woman who recognizes who Jesus is, who he is, who he says he is. He is the living son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. This is the person we've been waiting for for centuries. And she comes and she anoints him with what I call a sacrificial gift of not just expensive lotion, but very expensive lotion. Bethany's this little town, just two miles east of the big city of Jerusalem. It seems to be a place where Jesus regularly goes when he comes to Jerusalem. He has friends that live in Bethany. Mary and her sister Martha and their brother Lazarus. They all live over there in Bethany. Mark tells us in verse 3, now that phrase we had way back, Mark tells us in verse 3 that Jesus is in the home of someone named Simon the leper. It's an interesting title. It's sort of a nickname. It's not just Simon. It's Simon the leper. It's interesting how that that sort of nickname just stuck with this guy. It appears to be that Simon is welcoming Jesus into his home when he visits there in Bethany. But here's the thing. Simon must have been a former leper, not present leper. In other words, the leprosy was no longer active. He had perhaps been cured by Jesus. If that was the case, if that miracle, if that's how the leprosy left, and there was no cure for leprosy. But the New Testament, the Gospels, never talk about Jesus healing Simon from the leprosy. But it had to be a former leper. It couldn't be an active leper. He couldn't have leprosy at the moment because Jewish law forbid people with leprosy to associate with any other people. It says in Numbers chapter 5, the first four verses, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp, that they take out of camp. These people with leprosy cannot stay in the camp. Put out of the camp everyone who is leprous or has a discharge and everyone who is unclean through contact with the dead. You shall put out both male and female, putting them outside the camp, that they may not defile their camp in the midst of which I dwell, God is saying. And the people of Israel did so and put them outside the camp, as the Lord said to Moses. So the people of Israel did. It says in Leviticus 13, verse 44, He is a leprous man. He is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean. 
His disease is on his head. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head lang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! The person with leprosy, when entered Jerusalem or any other community, would call out himself, Unclean! It's like he's saying, I'm unclean. Stay away from me. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. Then it says in verse 46, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So when it talks about Simon the leper, it has to be that he had leprosy before. He can't have leprosy now or Jesus and the disciples would have never approached him and would have never entered his house. Now with one hand in Mark 14, everybody have two hands? Anybody here have one hand? Josephine, help. Leave one hand in Mark 14. The other hand, I want you to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 12. Mark 14, John 12. In all likelihood, the story in John chapter 12 is the same story as Mark 14. However, there's one, there's one significant difference. In John 12... John identifies the woman with the expensive lotion. He identifies her as Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Now let me begin reading verse 1. I'm going to read eight verses. Six days before, we're in John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. If these two paragraphs, Mark 14 and John chapter 12, are talking about the same situation, and personally I believe it's the same thing, then that would mean that Mark's unnamed woman is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And then it could also mean that Simon is the dad to Mary and Martha and Lazarus because it sure seems to me when we read Mark 14 that this house is Simon's house. Now in Jewish culture, you know, everybody, all of us are from someplace. We all have a background, we, our family, we have these habits and these culture, we have these, uh, these little things that we do on certain holidays. Your family does things one way and another family does it another. We all have these stories that we do. I mean, so we, the way we celebrate Christmas, the way we celebrate birthdays. Well, in Jewish culture, it was inappropriate, or should I say it was not appropriate for a woman to walk into a group of Jewish men and start talking. 
that was totally unacceptable. However, we know this from studying the scriptures, that Jewish values are not always the same as Jesus' values. Jesus treats everybody the same. So the, but the guests at this meal must have been somewhat shocked when the woman anoints Jesus with this, we'll call it valuable, perfume. Now, if you want to know about 300 denarii, the average worker in Israel that worked hard for one day would receive one denarii for one day of work. Okay? 300 denarii would be what that person would have been paid for 300 days work. In other words, one year. You had the Sabbath off. That'd be 52 minus 365. 300, well, my one grandson would say technically, Grandpa, it would be 313 days. But my grandson isn't here this morning. So we're going to say if there's 365 days in a year, and there are, and we subtract 52, that's 313. 313 days if I earned a denarii a year, a day, then I would have 313. It's a year's salary. So you want to stop and think for a minute? Just stop. Do the math. Where, wherever you work and whatever you do, is, is, that doesn't matter. What I want you to think about is how much money do you make in one year? Just think about that and put that. Your total salary for one year. That's the value of this lotion. It's not like when Sharon sends me to the drugstore and sends me to Walgreens and, and she says, buy me, my, my arms are kind of dry or something, buy me, a, buy me a nice bottle of lotion. Okay, honey, I can do that. And I get over there and the choices are $3, $5, or $9. That isn't what this is like. The value of this lotion is what you earn in an entire year. A gift like that was a shock to the disciples. I mean, they knew what that lotion was worth. But it wasn't just a shock to the disciples. If there was some special container of lotion that you could pick up over here at Walgreens, and I know that the value of that is tens of thousands of dollars, whatever it is that you make in a year, and you happen to be someplace where and you're a guest at somebody's house for supper, and they bring this lotion that the value is at a year's salary, and they break the jar and they pour it over somebody's feet, you'd be in shock. That's what's going on here in this house. Not only are the disciples in shock, if you and I were there, we'd be in shock as well. This, this lotion must have been like a family heirloom that Mary had this. And not only is there the sentimental value, there's the monetary value. Mark tells us that she didn't just pour a little bit out of the bottle. She actually broke the bottle. So there's no going back. This is a one-time thing. You're either all in or you're out. There's no way to put some of this back in. You get that? It's all or none. Once it was given... There was no turning back. Now, when we get to Mark 14, verses 4 and 5, the disciples are asking, 
the, the disciples are just guy, they're just like us. Why was this ointment wasted like that? Wasted is the word. The disciples are saying, why was this wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. The disciples are troubled. Why, why was this lotion wasted? That's the word. Why was it wasted like that? They're more troubled about using or losing the value of the gift than they are about the worthiness of Jesus being the recipient of a gift like that. They're more concerned about the value that they're losing than the value of Jesus being the recipient. Now, Jesus doesn't debate with the disciples about the virtues of charitable giving. Rather, he defends the person, the same person that they're willing to humiliate and embarrass. By the disciples, by the disciples' standard, this woman has done a wasteful thing. By Jesus' standards, she gave everything she had. Now, how many of us, if we had something at home, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a bottle of lotion, but if, if the value of that gift was equal to one year's wages, whatever it is, how many of us would be willing to give that up? Knowing there's no way to ever get that back. It's interesting that uh, people, and I'm in that same group, people seem to judge the value of a gift by the size of the gift. Jesus always measures the value of the gift based on our hearts. Let's imagine this morning when we take the offering, there's, let's say there's, there's a variety of cash in there and then there's a, a number of checks. But let, let's just talk about this for a minute. Let's say there's, let's, let me give you an example. Let's say there's two checks in there. And, and this is where I, I really feel uh, I'm cautious, I'm concerned. And you know, the people that count our offerings, we need to pray for them that they don't begin to judge people based on the size of the checks that are in the offering. That needs to be, we're not asking them to judge people, we're asking them to count the offering. And it's real easy because we've all got this old sin nature. And so we see two checks in there, one's for $500. Wow. But is it really a wow? Is it really a wow when God looks at the heart of the person that put the $500 check in the offering? Because God knows what that person has. And is the $500 check really an accurate response of gratefulness and thankfulness for all that God has given that person? Is $500 really, is that really an accurate? Well, it looks good. It looks good if you're counting the offering. Oh, whoa, here's a five. Let's just say there's another check in there for $10. And somebody thinks, $10? Is that all? Well, how do we know what that person has? See, you and I tend to judge on the outside. God judges the heart. And, and it could very well be, and I, I can almost make a promise that at certain times, in God's eyes, the $10, check, the $10 check is much larger than the $500 check. In God's eyes. 
1 Samuel 16, 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When Jesus says this, you will always have the poor with you, he's not making fun of poor people. If I can give you the Steve Anderson translation of that, what Jesus says, you will always have the poor. It would be something like this. You will always have an opportunity to help people who need help. But you won't always have me. Jesus knew that his life was about to end. And he very graciously accepted the gift of this woman's expensive lotion who was anointing him, preparing him for burial. Now, Let's look at one more thing, then we'll bring this to a close. The very first time that Jesus uses the word gospel, okay? And I'm not talking about Mark. I'm talking about Jesus. The very first time that Jesus uses the word gospel in Mark's gospel, the first time is in chapter 1, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's the first time that Jesus uses the word gospel. The last time Jesus uses the word gospel in Mark's gospel is right here in today's passage, verse 9. And truly I say to you, when, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. But now you've got to think about this for a minute. Just what exactly has this woman done to deserve a compliment like that? What exactly has she done that Jesus says, wherever the gospel goes, people are going to talk about this woman? The answer is this. We've been at this for 14 weeks in the gospel of Mark. I think the answer is this. She's the first person. She's the first person to understand that the gospel is not just telling people that God loves us. That's not the whole gospel. The gospel is also the story of how Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and suffered the most agonizing, painful death we could ever imagine, that he died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. The message of the gospel and Jesus' suffering is not two stories. It's one story. And the woman in Mark chapter 14, she understands that. For all of us that are out there talking about the gospel and how Jesus loves us and how we need to pray and invite Jesus, that's not the whole gospel. That's only part of the gospel. We need to talk about the price that Jesus paid. He went to the cross and he shed his blood so that you and I, sinners, you and I, could have our sin forgiven. Here's our question for today, and then we'll close. Of all that Jesus has entrusted into our care, whatever that is, of all that Jesus has entrusted into our care, are we graciously and freely giving back to him in a way that accurately reflects our love and appreciation 
for all that he has done for us? Now just think of that again. Of all that God has done for us, of everything that he's given us, are we from the bottom of our hearts graciously and excitedly and humbly giving back to God, not necessarily giving to Cross Point Church, but giving to mission organizations and, and giving to the Red Cross and giving to Billy Graham. Are we excited to be able to give back? Would you say that would you say that your gifts reflect accurately your love and appreciation for all that God has done for us? Now, we're in the habit of titling all these chapters. Our title for Mark chapter 14 is Giving Back to God. Next week, we're going to read, if you'd consider doing it, read chapter 15 before you come to church next Sunday. Now, I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to take the offering, and as soon as we're done with the offering, Trey, just stay seated. Trey has an announcement he's going to make as soon as we're done with the offering. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this woman who understood the gospel. And she was gracious and kind, and she understood that the gospel was not just about love, that for the gospel to be the gospel, it required that Jesus had to give his life and shed his blood on the cross and suffer a painful death. So God, help us to live lives in all areas of our life, not just when we take the offering, but Lord, the, the conversations that we have during the week and the people we encounter and our next door neighbors, help us to be people who love the gospel, people who love Jesus, and may it accurately and clearly be reflected in everything that we do. We thank you, Lord, for this offering. We ask that you'd help us to continue being good stewards of all you entrust into our care. We ask that you'd bless these gifts in each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.